When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Tint, a podcast dedicated to lovers of the botanical style, brackish water, black water, and all sorts of unusual aquariums. I'm Scott Feldman, your host, occasional provocateur, aquarium philosopher, and definitely a fish geek. Today's episode, well, it's more of a confession than anything else. Yeah, I think I have a few confessions to make. Uh, as a lot of you know from reading and now listening to my little meanderings every day, I have this mindset in which I source or obsess or study fish that I love, and then I plan an aquarium or environment around them. Now that process and that focus has enabled me to create some pretty cool aquariums over the years, if I say so myself. I've also had a few duds. However, it's also put me at odds with my love of being sort of an all-around fish geek. Does that make any sense? Think about this. When we plan our aquariums, I know that many of us are like super disciplined, highly detail-oriented, and we attack that fish list with this diligence and degree of mission focus, you know? Like every fish added to that tank has to be from the general region that all the others are from, or that tank scape is supposed to represent. I've always been focused like that, almost to the point of having tanks run empty for months at a time when I couldn't source the specific fishes I wanted. Yeah, Posila Carex Weizmanai is the only darter kerosene I shall have. I can be that focused, that geeky, like absurdly impractically focused. And I must confess, I'm not immune to, you know, temptations that I might encounter along the way to my ultimate goal. There's always that part of me that falls headlong into that shiny object syndrome. You know, something cool catches my eye along the way, and here I am off on a tangent, researching and considering ways to modify my plan, complete with justifications, you know, just because I said it's going to be an Asian blackwater stream with Resbora SBI doesn't mean that I can't have a few of those Kelpella Arnoldi in there. I mean, splashing freaking Tetras. Hello? Yeah, it's, it's like that. Sad shit like that, really. Of course, that's how the classic community tank, which we've loved in the hobby for generations, was created, right? The best combination of cool fishes, regardless of their origin, that just happened to catch our fancy. As long as they're physically compatible, does it really matter? I mean, what's wrong with that, right? I mean, really, does every salad we make have to have the ingredients from the same farm? And weak or not, that's the kind of argument that uh, would make me feel better anyway, right? But I have such guilt. You know, as I stare at my Asian-inspired, I use that in quotes, Blackwater Aquarium in my family room, which I'm kind of getting bored of, to be honest with you. We'll talk about that another time. With fishes that are regionally accurate, but would likely never be found together in nature, I can't help but reflect on my philosophies on theme and such, and occasional tangents I'd take. In past years, I'd further justify all these tangents, which led to like a broader, geographically absurd array of fishes with almost logical thoughts like, well, that little tetra from Colombia looks an awful lot like those random rasbora you see in Asian streams. I mean, yeah, I would justify decisions on, uh, for myself just like that. And over the years, I became more focused, of course. I'd go to the other extreme at times. I tell myself that unless every fish in the tank, regardless of the fact that it's from the same region, is wild caught, 
then one could make an argument that this is off plan. Well, somehow anyways. I mean, a South American tetra bred on an Asian fish farm from stock that's been there for 28 generations? Hmm. How do you quantify that? Yeah, like, that's a good argument or guilt diminisher, right? That's absurd. <laughs> and as I and the sad truth is, unless you're one of those people who's absolutely obsessed with complete authenticity, or if you're entering one of those carefully scrutinized biotope aquarium contests, it likely doesn't matter all that much, right? Having generally geographically proximate fishes in the same tank has always been a decent standard for me personally. I've always felt that fishes are, that are from the same general region, if not from the exact locale or ecological niche, will probably interact not all that much differently than they would if they were, you know, some other random species from their habitat. I mean, a dachshund and a golden retriever are both dogs and, well, yeah, you can argue that one as much as you want, I suppose. Probably? Sure, if you're like me, you'll carry on with your personal mark of shame and, yeah, some feelings of guilt for as long as you own the tank or perhaps until your overwhelming horror at having made this geographic transgression finally takes you down and forces you to remove the offending fishes into a tank of their own, hopefully with more geographically appropriate tank mates, of course. It's kind of ridiculous, or is it? It likely is. I mean, it's one thing to keep fishes from various blackwater habitats in, say, Brazil. It's quite another to keep fishes from Brazil with fishes from, let's say, Borneo, together in the same tank. On the other hand, are fishes from different parts of the world that physiologically dissimilar? I mean, sure, fishes evolved over eons to take on specific characteristics that were likely adaptations to fit specific environmental conditions that they'd encounter. Although I've often wondered whether or not a blackwater stream with a pH of 4.8 in Borneo is that much different, at least generally speaking, than an Amazonian Igarape with the same pH and water characteristics. I mean, sure, there are probably some subtle flora, faunal, uh, geology differences that, you know, can impact the, the chemical composition on a level we as hobbyists aren't even able to distinguish yet. But really, are they that much different? I wonder. Now, not that you would ever, for obvious reasons, but if you transplanted, say, a rasbora from a stream in Southeast Asia to a jungle stream in the rainforest of Brazil or a nanostomus to, to a Sarawak dream, uh, stream in a jungle, could the fish adapt? Would they adapt? I mean, they might have slightly different food sources or ways of finding them, but could the fish adapt? Is this any different than the coping that wild-caught fishes have to do when they're captured and placed in most home aquariums? You know, strange food, different environmental parameters from their home, and unknown, unnatural companions. Is there some sort of stress that would arise under all these conditions? Could the subtle stresses be the reason why so many fishes have, are elusive for so long when it comes to spawning them? You know, I ponder this in the context of our botanical-style aquariums, <clears throat> and I focus our focus on more natural-looking tanks and natural-functioning systems. Could it be why we're seeing more and more success with blackwater fishes being kept in more realistic habitats and environmental conditions? Could it? Could those humic substances and tannins be the something in the water which bridges at least part of that gap between the wild habitat and the aquarium? The idea of using materials like fish, le like leaves, seed pods, etc., in our fish tanks, to which great extent mimic the form and function of the wild habitats from where the fishes come from in the first place, at least gives us the ability to explore the concept. <clears throat> Excuse me. Early morning here in LA, by the way. <laughs> I mean, one of us could probably make that logical argument that geographic suitability is important. 
We could ponder if a Carignana legalis seed pod from Brazil in our Asian-themed tank would somehow be detrimental to our fishes, or perhaps not as physiologically beneficial as a more geographically appropriate Sturculia pod from Thailand. We could. Yet, wouldn't that literally be like splitting hairs? I mean, where does it end? And, and, and what benefit or detriment would we be experiencing as a result of our decision to include or exclude a specific botanical piece of wood, type of substrate, or other material in our supposedly 100% authentic geographic-focused aquarium? I remember not long ago reading in some killifish forum that a certain African species needed selenium in its water because the soil in which the fish comes from has high levels of the stuff. And hobbyists were discussing things like adding Brazil nuts and other things to their aquariums to provide selenium in the water. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, we offer, you know, monkey pots, which is the capsule that protects the Brazil nut. Could it somehow impart selenium into the water over time? Perhaps, maybe. But it's from the Lysithus peninus tree, which is found in Brazil. And the killies from Africa. Remember? Yeah, well, I suppose a fish breeder can make those kind of accommodations without guilt, right? But of course, it circles back. I mean, I think that even the hardcore biotope aquarium guys, who, who I respect and love, they seem to focus more on outward appearances for their biotope tanks than they do on function in this geophysiological functional thing. And I suppose it's a matter of practicality, really. I mean, it's for a contest. I get that. But... Is the goal to keep fishes in a natural environment for a long term or just to replicate it for a contest? I don't know. And to, to back this up, I've seen many of these biotope aquarium contest winners whose tank represents, you know, a small riffle adjacent to Rio blah, blah, blah in September or whatever. And it's filled with beach leaves from, you know, suburban London or Prague or wherever. And the judges will rip other entries apart. If the wood is oriented the wrong way or if there are too many rocks or too much sand in, in the environment or whatever, yet they curiously seem to overlook the fact that we have these ridiculously out-of-place European oak leaves on the bottom of the tank. I mean, how can we blame them? Uh, ever try to source leaves from South America or wood for that matter? You'll understand really quickly why catapa leaves and guava leaves from Asia or India are like the ultimate tropical stand-in for leaves from other parts of the world. Trust me. And yeah, I know the biotope aquarium enthusiasts would utilize the exact materials in the tank if they could source them. And that's always a problem. Now, we shouldn't get too crazy about any of this. I mean, really. Otherwise, it just becomes absurd. Now, I personally think that as hobbyists, we get too hung up on some aspects of stuff, you know. We just need to chill, right? Or at the very least, maybe you should place an order with Canon Aquatics because we offer a lot of cool stuff. Oh, okay, that was a shameless plug. Yeah, that was a really shameless plug, but hey, it's my it's my podcast, right? And there's more questions than answers in this, but it is an interesting thing to think about. Isn't this fun? I think it's maddening, though. It's often frustrating, but it's pretty damn fun. And I think, I think that looking at things from the perspective uh, might finally ease my personal guilty conscience when I make that unthinkable ultimate transgression of keeping a captive bred variant of a Danio species in the same tank as a you know, Hyphesobrycon from Brazil. Yeah. Okay, Scott. Yeah, that's going to work. Okay. Well, that's true. Probably not. But that's my geographic confessional. It's the kind of stuff that haunts the inner recesses of my mind and it bubbles up on occasion. And then I have to talk about it with you guys. And the reality is that in the end, I, I know I'm still going to keep my fishes separate. That's just the way it is. My Rasbora and my Tetras shall never meet in the same tank. I mean, at least for now, right? Yeah. 
Well, until next time, don't feel guilty. Or maybe you should, I don't know. Your call. But stay studious, stay inquisitive, stay creative, stay resourceful, stay engaged, and always, always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman. Hope you have a great week and enjoy whatever you're doing. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode.